0: And uh, you know what? We'll continue with uh, with Raptors talk from CBS Sports. Covers the NBA. Is James Herbert? James, really appreciate. It. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, 100%. So, um, the story of last night, uh, I, I think easily, well, not easily, I'm biased, but it's going to be Siakam, 52 points in New York, breaking, uh, the Knicks eight game winning streak. But from a bigger picture, James, as someone who, you know, covers the whole NBA, it's not like you're on Raptors beat. How confusing is this team for you? A team that's below 500, a team that's got like the same record as the Lakers, but a team that had so much promise at the start of the year.
1: They're, they're very confusing. I think if you had asked me a, a few weeks ago, like, say, before Pascal Siakam had come back, um, before some of, you know, the sort of disturbing losses that the Raptors had, um, you know, the game against the New Orleans, the game in Brooklyn, like, they, they've had a, a few of these um, really kind of dispirited efforts. I wouldn't have said they were com- confusing at all. Like, a, a few weeks ago, I would have said, this is a team that knows exactly how it wants to play. It's a little bit shorthanded. It especially on offense has a bit of a hill to climb on, on a lot of nights and it needs to make up for the shortcomings in terms of shooting, in terms of individual playmaking, by crashing the glass, by forcing turnovers, by just like flat out playing harder and the other team, taking advantage of the athleticism and the versatility and just kind of the weirdness of, of the roster um, and, you know, being unpredictable defensively and kind of dominating the possession game and, and going from there. And I, I, I felt back then that I, I knew what I was going to get from the Raptors for the most part in terms of style of play, in terms of defensive intensity, kind of regardless of how much talent they had on a night-to-night basis because, again, like, Siakam was missing. They had other guys that were in and out of the lineup. And I still was, like, pretty sure that when they were whole again, they were going to be the team that we sort of thought they were going to be coming, in, coming into the year. They were going to build off what they did last year when they were healthy. And it was a team that was going to be, like, in the mix for home court advantage in the East, and that if it fell into the play and, like, Depending on circumstances, maybe that would be understandable, but that would kind of be a disappointment. That's how I that's how I thought of them then. At this point, it is it is just strange because the defense has not been consistent. I don't honestly like I can't say that the effort has been consistent night to night. The the shooting is one thing, and some of that has been befuddling too. Um, Fred VanVleet shot a lot better lately, especially you know um, the other night when he had 39. Um, a lot of that was inside the arc, but, but his three-point shot was coming back, too. Um, but Trent was having a down year. A lot of the role players weren't shooting well. Um, you knew the shooting would be a, a potential issue. You just didn't think it was going to be this bad. But the shooting is not what, like, could really concerned me the most. Like, what what concerns me about the Raptors is, like, the vibes have been very different. Um, you led into this by talking about Scotty Barnes and not getting to the line. And, like, I'm a guy who just wrote, this, wrote this, like, big, long story on him. Last year, about just kind of what a joy he was um, yeah. to watch, what a joy he was for the team, um, how his teammates felt about him, how his old coaches felt about him, all of this stuff. And his energy has just been different this year. It does not look nearly as fun. His stats aren't that different from last year, but I mean, like the game last night was a pretty decent example where he gets benched near the end of it. He was not productive. Um, There have been defensive mistakes, which I think, you know, he had defensive mistakes as a rookie, too, but often he overcame them with effort, and and you were willing to overlook that stuff. He's a first-year player, whatever. I I think there was an expectation that he was going to come into the year. He was going to be clearly improved in a number of areas. That hasn't quite happened, but I think the energy from the team has just been kind of different. I'm not sure exactly what is going on. Maybe Siakam's career night can be what gives them a jolt, um, but they have not been as kind of... Reliable, or as for lack of a better word, like Raptors like to me over the past month or so.
0: It's the same thing with us. We're all looking at the team and we're scratching our head. Um, you mentioned Siakam, the 52 points. And the one thing I, I thought about was right after the game was done, you start getting all these press releases about how. Siakam is now one of only a couple other active NBA players to score 50 at Madison Square Garden. LeBron, Steph, and Harden. And, and then you see the list of everyone, every visiting player, to score 50 or more. And, and I'm wondering, James, do we do that for any other arena? Do we do that when <laughs> someone scores 50 at the Toyota Center in Houston or the United Center in Chicago, or Wells Fargo Center in Philly. I, I, I was thinking about it for a second. I can't think of really almost any other sport where the, where immediately the geography of the greatness of the player gets mentioned as quickly as it does as it does with Madison Square Garden. No, I mean
1: it. it that is what happens, for better or worse, right? Like I definitely know some people who like, are tired of hearing about that and who are sick of it, but also like yeah. every time somebody says that kind of thing, I think, like, all right, but, like, I see how players' eyes light up when they talk about MSD. Not literally everybody, but a lot of them. Um, I, I do think there are there is a certain feeling of butterflies when people uh, come in to play at MSD for the first time, whether it's, you know, a big game... Um, that is on national television that is hyped up that has just a different vibe in the arena or whether it's just like, you know, any other like game on the schedule where a certain player is going in there hoping to have a big night. I think there are some qualities of it that are different. I wasn't there last night. Um, I was there for the Harden game where he had 61 and I was absolutely crazy. Um, but I didn't walk out of the arena personally thinking like, Oh, that was so nuts that it happened here. It was just like a crazy performance. Right. But you know, I mean, I, like last year when Stephen Curry was approaching the all-time record for three-pointers, there were a lot of people when it became apparent that it might happen at MSG that were, like, looking at that story and how he had kind of had one of his sort of breakout moments, a turning point in his career, um, you know, like nine years earlier when he got 54 and he made all those threes and it happened to be at Madison, at Madison Square Garden, and again, it's like I get why people were like, "Oh, it doesn't mean more because it was in, in New York." It was like Steph like did something incredible, and this shows how he's changed the game and what a remarkable career he's had. But like Steph Curry himself said, it meant something to him. So yeah. I don't want to take that away from him. I don't want to take that away from anyone. I'm sure like Ockham was hyped that it happened there. Um, I think just the lighting, the ambiance, the atmosphere, like that is different. Like I, I go there a ton, and I live in New York, but um, he would have. He feels like if you had that game anywhere, like the players would have been celebrating. It just there's not that extra asterisk that you can put on an afterward, where it's some they're bringing up past performances, from other greats that have stepped through there.
0: Yeah, I don't see a player going, "Wow, I did well at FTX Arena." Man, this is history. Is yeah, no. Look, look, look upon that <laughs> with the glory that. Is FTX. Moving on. Um, The other really big thing I I wanted (laughs) to ask you about is, I I don't know how long you've been covering the NBA. Uh, I've been a fan since John Starks dunked on Jordan, and as a long-suffering Knicks fan, he dunked on Jordan and Pippen, and he dunked on both of them, and I won't hear anything otherwise. (laughs) I don't remember a season with this amount of parody where I can legitimately bring up four-and-a-half teams in the East and maybe five or more teams in the West that could legitimately win the NBA title. I don't remember the last time of such parody. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts.
1: No, I, I don't remember a time either. And I wasn't covering the league back when, when Starks was um, in his heyday, but I was a fan. Uh, I was watching, and I don't remember ever feeling as wide open as it does now. Um, certain years where you look at it and you can name at this point in the season like uh, more than a handful. But this is, like, just the separation and the standards. Like, in the left, like, look at the top ten teams. It's, like, four games. Like, yeah. that is crazy. Like, unless you are one of the teams that's right at the bottom, like the San Antonio's of the world that are, like, tanking the season, like, if you want to compete for a play-in spot, like, you can. There is time to make that up. And if you're in the middle, which represents most of the league, like a full half the league is been within four games of first place in their conference at this point, which is insane. Um, but for most of the league, that's kind of in that murky middle, like you can talk yourself into, all right, like if we get some momentum, then we could potentially get home court advantage in, in, in the playoffs. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not sure it will remain quite like this. Um, I think there's a lot of things that have gone into this, some of which have been like a direct result of efforts from the NBA to like try to create some parity or at least try to discourage tanking um, in terms of the decreased lottery odds for the teams that are all the way at the bottom and making the bottom four teams have the same um, percentage there. And then also that the playing tournament is a game changer. It's a huge variable, and I think – as other people smarter than people than me have noticed, like teams around the NBA have noticed um, what the play in tournament has meant for teams in recent years, how, you know, a team like the Pelicans last year, looked like their season was going down the tubes um, when they were about a third of the way through it. They end up, I think they won like 36 games in the regular season last year, but it was enough to sneak into the play. And that ended up being enough to sneak into the playoffs. And now look at them like they're, yeah. they're the top of the West. They they, they Think of themselves as championship contenders and they absolutely should. And they, they gain some experience. They gain some confidence. They, like when, when you have that type of experience, you can bring a team closer together. It can also make you sharper and it can tell the team and the players what they need to work on, what, like how they need to get better. And I I think that can do something for you. And I, I think the vast majority of teams right now are still competing. They're still looking to be buyers heading into the trade deadline. Not all of them. And uh, I think there will be some teams that pivot, uh, especially considering how good this year's draft class is. But I think but those those are, like, direct results of what the league has done. There's other stuff that's happened where certain teams who were expected to be all the way at the top have just been completely banged up and have underperformed and all of that, and they've been shoved to the middle. And, yeah, maybe, like, the Clippers should actually be a title contender, right? Like, the Warriors being this sort of mediocre was not something that I, I think most people expected coming into the year despite the fact they lost some role players in in the off season. So I, I don't know it will look quite like this at the at the end of the year, but it's weird and it's fun and like night tonight it's pretty good. Like last night there were a few blowouts, but in general blowouts are way, way, way down this year compared to last year. And they've been right now they're on pace to have the most overtime games in NBA history, based on how this season's gone so far.
0: It's incredible. It's uh, a unique season, and it's been a ton of fun early on. Hey, James, really appreciate it. Check out his work at CBS Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Outside the NBA. How'd you get that handle on Twitter? Thanks so much uh, for joining the show today. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me. Absolutely. That is James Herbert, NBA writer for CBS Sports.